0: We're back for an all new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira
1: Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. I'm trying to fit all too well into an Alwyn pun and it's not working out for me. So it's going to be a slow <laughs> day here at Keep It. Well, so Taylor Swift finally saw
0: Stars at Noon, the Claire Denis film that Joel Alwyn's in. Uh, <laughs> and that is why
1: they broke up. She's like, it's kaput now. Yeah. (laughs) Just saw him last week when I rewatched The Favorite when we had uh, Rachel Vice here. But I have to say, in the 25,000 conversations I have had about Taylor Swift, most of them I unwittingly walked into, like a character (laughs) in a murder mystery finding a trapdoor. This man has come up maybe twice. So it's interesting that people, that friends I have who are obsessed with Taylor Swift are now acting apocalyptic about a man I swear they have not brought up before (laughs) you know he's sort of like um if Dolly Parton got a divorce right we'd care certainly but we've never heard of this husband I literally cannot name him all I know (laughs) is that Jane Fonda (laughs) claims she has met him and I know that Jane Fonda would lie on behalf of Dolly Parton so (laughs) I'm on this case
0: uh, yeah, so Taylor Swift and Joe Alwyn broke up. That was the big, that's the big news this week. And, um, steps from my apartment. <laughs> sorry, in the- that's,
1: that's the big news. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> um, let me do it like Wendy would do it. Um, Taylor Swift broke up with her man this weekend. Clap if you care. <laughs> oh man, Taylor- I miss her now. <laughs> Taylor, you're single. You're hot. Go out there and get a different man, or a woman, whatever you want.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. She is a singular force in the culture. We do need her back. <laughs> Taylor stepped out
0: for the first time um, since her breakup was announced, uh, according to Grub Street, to Via Carota in the West Village um, to have some pasta. All right. But... Grub Street also in their Instagram post was like, d- called it camp, that she went to Via Carota
1: and I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Also camp is just now the most over, it's like vibes. We, we've, 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 we've had our fill of this thing and we gave it to all the wrong people and now they think they know what it is. And I hate feeling like Susan Sontag having to explain it to everybody. So let's uh, stop that. I do feel at
0: least a bit like you felt when you said that, you know, all of a sudden people were talking about Joe Alwyn, Joe Alwyn, Joe Alwyn. I get it. People online sort of went into their whole, um, we should give Taylor privacy, um, mantra. You know, like that was some of the discourse that started to bubble up. And I was like, don't you people create Kennedy assassination theories for everything that this woman does? but all of a sudden the
1: breakup's off limits. You've got Zodiac Killer numerology for everything she fucking does. (laughs) And by the way, it's actually warranted because she loves putting shit like that in all of her (laughs) minor notes and teasers and things like that. Um, uh, No, and she replaced some song in her set with Invisible String, which was supposed to be a clue that maybe she had broken up with him. Anyway, more of Um, the Riddler nonsense from (laughs) (laughs) T-Swift. Do you think we'll get a breakup album is she oh, over that? Oh, that's the other fucking thing. Th- so this breakup happens, and then her fans are like, imagine the music we'll get. You mean she's going to write about <laughs> rocky relationships and karma again? Wow, that's... <laughs> I can't wait for her to finally get to those subjects.
0: <laughs> Can I say, though, that um, you almost predicted this. I did? Or at least manifested it. When we talked about the era's tour the other week, you were oh, like, yes. you missed Taylor's era of... Writing about like a new man, writing about something specific happening to her, but uh, she was been she's been with Joe forever in a boring, committed relationship. So we haven't gotten that Taylor. I would
1: like her to follow her bliss again. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, because the goofy stuff I think just works best. Like I think twenty two is top tier Taylor Swift, which feels like no a far right thing to say, but. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm ready
0: for her to go into her single era again, whatever that means. Yeah, uh, also, she's also, also on tour. So, it'll be a while before you get anything from her. Actually, that's not true. Knowing her, she probably has 60 things ready to go.
1: I do have to say she is maybe the most productive superstar of all time. And I say that like as a Madonna fan who her entire thing is marching against time. So, <laughs> I say that as a Prince fan, he has 80 albums I've never even heard. I was just talking about this the other day. I'm sorry, there's got to be some unemployed s- psycho out there who can break into this vault. I'm sorry, it can't be that hard. <laughs> Prince isn't around anymore. The guards, like, you know, aren't on guard. You know what I'm saying?
0: Also, doesn't Taylor strike you as exactly the kind of person who has um already written breakup songs about this breakup with Joe? She wrote them before she planned to break up with him.
1: It's like how Thank You Next came out seconds after ariana grande's breakup it's like you couldn't i absolutely know you you know laid down a couple uh, versions of this track ahead of time like, on the <laughs> off chance you broke up with serial <laughs> dater pete davidson
0: uh that seems so quaint now yeah right thinking right. of ariana and pete because he's but he's completely someone else now
2: yeah she's al-
0: she's also she also took on the baton of um mirroring a um man we've never heard of and stays out of the public eye
1: no right he, he's like little right which is a clever if if you want a man to stay out of the public eye make him you know she Jiminy cricket sized yeah right <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of icons yeah we have done it again joe you have done it again or what is it michelle clown you have done it again yeah, the, the other one was, we did it, Joe. Ah, uh, yes, I'm, I'm completing them all right now. Yeah,
0: um, that, and that's actually how Taylor broke up with him. She said, we've done it,
3: Joe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if she's spoken memes to uh, her friends. It seems fitting. I hope she knows memes. She must, right? There's no way this person is not extremely online.
0: I would love if Taylor Swift were, uh, you know, um, shading Olivia Rodrigo when "Sour" was playing. And she was like, Joe, she's singing off-key on the
1: record.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then Joe was like, somebody's you
1: do too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sort of your thing.
0: Uh, No, we have another icon in the building. Um, This week, we have... The one and only Tony Collette on Keep It this
1: week. I have to say, I love having guests where, you know, there are so many things they've done that you could do an entire interview about. But I I was daunted hoping to get so many of these credits in, and I'm happy to say we did. Jesus. And she's such a fabulous interviewee, too. Yeah. um, Also, claims that she's sick this week, but she was, I'd like to see her when she's not sick. No, she popped right off and also still wowed us with the fact that she literally is Australian. This is somebody with an Australian <laughs> accent, and you never ever hear it. I feel uh, like that is psychologically wearing on a person, yeah, you know meanwhile, Nicole Kidman um <laughs> she still can't undoing that accent. You know what I'm saying. <laughs>
0: uh no but tony collette is here to discuss her latest film mafia mama um which is a title that i'm obsessed with <laughs> just exactly what it is
1: there's a <laughs> mafia there's, so many, there's a
0: mama okay There's there's so many ways that you could interpret this title too like is she the mafia mama or um is someone telling her about the mafia mafia mama Yeah, there is the ambiguous punctuation. You never know. Right. Yeah. So we've got Tony Collette, and then we've got Super Mario Brothers, the movie that saved Hollywood.
1: Again, I feel like Hollywood is saved every other week. Right. Also, the amount of money it made, it's unsettling. I mean, the movie is perfectly cute in certain ways. (laughs) It didn't need to be Avatar level.
0: (laughs) And then we'll get into the episode of Succession that everyone is talking about.
1: Speaking of Australian accents, I can't believe Sarah Snook did not come up during this interview. But she, I mean, that's one of the greatest performances I've seen on TV in the past year. So hopefully she has sprung ahead in the um, Emmy contenders list, even though it feels like uh, Jennifer Coolidge is probably just going to take it again.
0: Yeah. I see that for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what? These Australians might be trying to murder her, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back with more Keep It.
1: Wahoo! <laughs> Not a new accent and voice for you. I'm five years in. Lord deliver me.
0: The Super Mario movie had a peachy opening weekend, mm. uh, and is now the highest-grossing IMAX feature of all time. So,
1: what do we think? Let's get to do it. <laughs> it got worse somehow. It's really. It's almost touching in a way. Um, yeah, do you know what this movie is like? You know when you turn on a Mario game, and then you don't press start, and then some video starts playing? That's what this movie is. You know, just, (laughs) here's all your favorite characters, being super. Uh, You know what, for like a 92-minute movie, and by the way, that's the best thing about it, it's 92 minutes, and not really a moment wasted. You get all the familiar characters, you get cameos from the minor Mario villains and uh, baddies, that you want to see, like, oh, there's the guy that throws the hammer. There's, you know, Bat Koopaling, et etc. Um, but I don't, afterwards, it just feels like you played video games for a half hour. It's, it's, you're in, you're out, your kids screamed maybe, and that was that. And I frankly cannot believe Anya Taylor-Joy signed on to be just the most boring princess imaginable. She's good at her job. And by the way, she doesn't even have a job. <laughs> I mean, listen, Princess Peach
0: has always been boring. And, yeah, uh, I I feel like there's no there's no interiority here <laughs> uh, at all. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. That I, like, on that. Maybe there's fan theories, uh, but I don't know. She's
1: in a castle, y'all, and for and most of the time she's kidnapped, right? And you have the toads that tell you, "Oh, she's in another castle." So you get the cute reference to the old game. I believe there's a moment when you see Princess float for a second, uh, a reference to her uh kind of supernatural power she gets in Super Mario 2, which is still, I believe, one of the queerer things ever in a video game. That the <laughs> that the lady in the pretty dress has some extreme ability that puts her like makes her a little bit better or more special than the other characters in the game. It's yeah, like how Chun li in Street Fighter's a little bit faster than all the others. <laughs> I feel like they
0: really highlighted, you know, like girl power, giving her, you know, <laughs> she she was Kung Fuin. Right. Uh, she could do like the obstacle everybody, course. Yeah. Everybody was kung fu fighting in yeah. this movie. Um, she, she was great at the obstacle course. She was great at uh, speed racing. She was giving, like, Daphne in the Scooby-Doo movies, you know? Like, when all of a
1: sudden Sarah Michelle Gellar's Daphne could, like, do jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm glad that there's a cinematic forebear to this important movie. Great.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's taking women who were, you know, initially presented as um, dumb heifers, <laughs> uh and now they've got stuff to do from Hanna Barbera
1: sp- to Hanna Barbarians.
0: <laughs> uh but you I've always welcome. been a fan of Princess Peach iconography even if she is, you know, kidnapped half the
1: time. Right. Uh something that actually is good in this movie. Jack Black as Bowser. Uh so he like, you know, <laughs> I guess his as tr- tradition wants to marry princess peach and the reaction of all the minions in his life is very <laughs> funny they're all just like gross
0: <laughs> that and um i love how they make it funny and creepy and the 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 one um the one scene where he's like proposing to princess peach but he's acting it out like with a koopa yeah very goofy i thought i had a great time i was also stoned as hell yeah. so
1: that helped the the marriage thing is giving uh, uh, Jafar in the best possible yes. way. Yeah, you know, yeah,
0: definitely queer coded. Yes,
1: certainly. Bowser's gay. Also, Jack Black, the only person give, <laughs> giving a like uh, like a, like a Disney caliber voice performance, like you're actually, yeah. yeah. Oh, it couldn't be anybody else but him in that role. Whereas, like Chris Pratt, nothing about that really spoke to me. Nor uh, Anya Taylor Joy yeah do we think that
0: this movie did so well because the conservatives went out to support Chris Pratt
3: I
1: always forget that, that yeah because he's he's like the king of a certain religion or something is he just normal Catholic he and uh, Catherine Schwarzenegger
0: I think he's like um, super Catholic okay
1: that's why he was good for Super Mario Brothers oh know? yeah right he's a super
0: Catholic brother
1: yeah okay it makes sense. They, <laughs> somebody typed super into Google and he came up and then they were like he would belong in this movie <laughs> about super things don't you remember when he had
0: that huge as cross that was like in his yard for Easter
1: one year? I mean, that sounds great for him. I mean, I remember yeah. the "Like a Prayer" video. Is it similar? No. Okay. Yeah. Well, it wasn't burning. Oh, yeah. You know? then, then I don't remember it at all. <laughs> There's no black choir behind him. Um, have you ever seen the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie? Of course, I have. Okay, because I watched it recently on i'm gonna say the shadiest YouTube channel of all time like disney does or whoever's in charge does not want you to see this um I had forgotten one I mean it's obviously bad, but it's really a pastiche of all the kids movies at that time, like there's a gritty new york environment a la teenage mutant ninja turtles and also like that movie everything is literally slimy why were we so obsessed with sliminess in the early 90s i want to blame nickelodeon for this and the entire gack slime universe but Gat just slime, everything ghostbusters with, uh, yeah ghost certainly it's very ghostbusters um uh riffing uh also so you have bob hoskins as mario He gets the least to fucking do in this movie. It's all about John Leguizamo, which I understand. Sexy John Leguizamo. But also, these characters never once remind you of the video game. I can't get over that there's not like... They don't bust open a block at any time. At the end of the movie, they eventually do go down a tube. But by the way, in Mario, you're only in the tube for a second. Then the game commences. Like, it's not really a game about... Sliding down a tube and ending up in a sewer. That takes milliseconds in the game.
0: I'm still thinking about sexy John Leguizamo. He is. Am I wrong? (laughs) He is. He is. My Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec.
1: Yes. (laughs) Also, another thing about that movie, like the Lady Koopa person is played by Fiona Shaw, which is a fact that I believe is lost to time. And (laughs) when you watch this woman on Fleabag or in any of her esteemed uh, Broadway appearances, this is somebody who I believe was in Hedda Gabler before she was in Super Mario Brothers. Fiona Shaw, and I saw it with my own eyes, stabs Yoshi in the neck. (laughs) What?
3: And also,
0: by the way, you remember Fiona Shaw from True Blood, don't you? Of course, yes. When she when she played that witch, uh, I feel like that's the same kind of
1: role where it's you know what? Let's the rent is due. Let's have some fun, right? It's a it's. <laughs> I I will charitably compare it to like Judith Anderson and Rebecca. It's a little bit of a Mrs. Danvers role, yeah, which she should be playing thrilling whatever. Um, but God, yeah, it is a dreadful movie. Also, Samantha Mathis as Princess. They don't not they don't give her a thing to do. But she was somebody who was on the ascent at the time. Like, she would soon be in Little Women. But she was in a movie before that called Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater, which is now kind of lost to time. Really good early 90s movie. And I I feel like this stopped her in her tracks.
0: (laughs) I feel like Pump Up the Volume's lasting um, pop culture um, relevance is because of Buffy. Mm. Uh, In the prom episode, someone makes it creates these like um hell demons to go and kill the students at the prom uh and he hypes them up by having them watch pump up the volume
1: Uh, well that's fascinating because it is uh it's also christian slater in like five really good movies in a row around that time and i feel like that's the one we don't talk about anymore um but my god Uh, also meanwhile it'll be remade with like noah centineo in two weeks (laughs) dennis hopper is also in the (laughs) super mario brothers movie and That is one of the crazier Wikipedias you can go down. I don't know if you've read it recently. Did you know that he went on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno around that time and started talking about how he got into a fight with, I believe, Rip Torn, who was supposed to be an easy rider or something. And then Rip Torn successfully sued him for making up a story about how he attacked him. (laughs) Imagine just going on Jay Leno and lying. All right. (laughs) uh who's he thinking he is robert pattinson <laughs> oh my we haven't had a good lie from robert pattinson in a while i know um he's I did, like oh i, I almost s- blew up my house with the microwave or whatever he said i did sit
0: in front of him uh at the Bo is afraid new york premiere though uh he slipped in as soon as the lights went down in his baseball cap his 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 carhartt jacket as usual mm-hmm. uh
1: he's he's always uh He's always like he's on the run. He's in The Fugitive. I was at a Bo was Afraid screening the other day, too, the L.A. premiere. And I always forget, when you're at a situation like that, when the lights go down, pay attention to the shadowy people who sneak in at the last <laughs> moment, because they're important. <laughs> I only caught a glimpse of Pedro Pascal. I didn't clock anybody else. Mm, Caroline Polachek was there, strutting down every eight twenty four red carpet. Do you know what I love about her? She's 38. and those girls, when they're like new, and I haven't heard them before, they always are twenty one yeah. but in this case, she's already carly Jepsenified. so I appreciate that for her <laughs> as I grew up with my mortality. she's been working yeah okay? right um We're, did no did you grow up playing super mario at all does it is it relevant to you because i, I am love I, I am encyclopedic about these games about the original games mm. the uh the first uh, Super Mario Brothers came up to the third, and then Super Mario World. We were a Super Nintendo family.
0: Yes, it was a Super Nintendo family. We got up to those. Um, I was so excited for the Donkey Kong section, you know, when they were, um, f- when Mario was fighting Donkey Kong, um, because I was obsessed with the Donkey Kong games. Like there was the Diddy Kong cameo, there was a Daisy Kong cameo. Donkey Kong Country 2 was my life and i still write to the donkey kong country to
1: soundtrack oh my god just like kurt vonnegut um, <laughs> uh uh no those games are fabulous I, mario kart was the most played game in my house but i loved that the, the personification in the movie of cranky kong that was very cute I also just love that he's styled like an old person, maybe on a sitcom in the early 90s, like the grandma from Family Matters. <laughs> uh, Fred Arbison played Craigie Clark, and it took me a while to place him. Oh, I definitely didn't. Yeah. I assume this is one of those extremely high-budget movies. I'm sure every single role is a famous person.
0: Yeah, I mean, Charlie... I thought Charlie Day was cute as Luigi. Luigi Luigi was not as hot as the internet was pretending that he looked, but, um, you know, I was born to... Uh, I was born to Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. But, um,
1: you know, a lot of of cute characters in here. I had, uh, for like the past 30 years of my life, I've had some theme song in my head that I kind of couldn't place. And I looked it up. It's the Super Mario World cartoon theme where there's a sort of, I'll call it reggae-ish introduction (laughs) to the show. (laughs) But there are two other, there's a Super Mario Brothers 3 show and then the Super Mario super show which the opening credits has is cartoon and live action but it looks like a, it looks like Cleveland Public Access Television. I have no idea how this got on the air for us all to watch.
0: That one I remember. I feel like the other Super Mario ones were around the time when I was still maybe watching cartoons as a kid, but I feel like they were more me waking up hungover in college and seeing Super Mario on
1: TV. Mhm. Uh yeah, you know it's so interesting how video games I feel like really gave like gay kids opportunities to quote unquote express themselves. Like when you pick princess in Super Mario Kart, a, something going through your head is like, "This is a single mom who needs this to make this whole life work." <laughs> Sorry, am I projecting? That's how I felt playing. A, a this. little bit, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that's
1: why you cosplay as Sonya Blade every other Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, nothing wrong with how those ladies dressed. That is very current. <laughs> The Sarah uh, Connor uh, style,
0: yeah. I mean, I'll, I feel like Sonya Blade just looks like Laura Dern at Jurassic Park most of the time. Just Ooh. Short shorts, um, tied up
1: shirt, um, hair back. Yeah, always pulled back. Uh, yeah. Underrated icon in this category, Sarah Bryant from Virtua Fighter, which is a series that's now lost to time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of video games as a kid, and I feel like really it has not translated to me being a video game adult.
1: No, well, I feel like the main customer for video games has changed entirely. Like, there still are things like fighting games around, but it's less a a diversion and more a lifestyle now, you know?
0: Yeah, it is. And it's definitely, you know, like, if you're playing, like, a full live-action game, you know, like, it's gone beyond Goldfinger um, or Doom, you know? Now it's like, I mean, think of just The Last of Us, the last big video game adaptation we were talking about on this show.
1: Um, that oh, is you just so meant immersive. Eye. Yes, right. Yeah. Say what? Sorry.
0: Yeah, golden eye. Uh, that is that is so immersive. Right. You know, to like it. it I feel like it takes so much time, uh, and I just want to, I just want to shoot them up or you know,
1: beat a world. Right. It, to me, it's like playing Scrabble or something. It, it, it was lovely for a second, and now I get to be mad at my mom. <laughs> uh, what would you? What other character? from,
0: like, this Super Mario world do you want to see, like, get their own film now? Because clearly it's coming. It made a shit ton of money. Well, I am, of course, obsessed with Bowser's kids, mm. which... Yes, uh, okay. When so he they, was playing yeah. the piano, it said, like, Ludwig von Beethoven on it. Uh, and I remembered them fighting Ludwig von Beethoven in the game. His kids are insane.
1: Also, it's just amazing. So th- those characters were invented in the early 90s, and most of the kids are pop culture parodies that are now incredibly dated with the exception of Iggy Koopa who is of course modeled after Iggy Pop but like Morton Downey Jr is the inspiration for Morton Koopa Jr and that is a trash talk show host from the 80s who's you know it's not a name like Jerry Springer or even Jenny Jones that people remember now uh, it was just <laughs> like it was this rowdy terrible show they named Bowser's kids after celebrities who are either I guess just rockers, but they look weird. He they picked w- weird-looking celebrities to model these monstrous kids after. Like Wendy O. Koopa is modeled after Wendy O. Williams, not Wendy Williams from the Plasmatics, <laughs> who's like a punk icon. Um, Roy Koopa is modeled after Roy Orbison. That's sort of the most conventional celebrity of the bunch. Uh, but Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, another kind of deader reference. I'm not a metalhead. I I don't know if that came across, but I'm not.
0: Uh, and yeah, like like I said earlier, Ludwig. Von Cooper was always my favorite.
1: Well, he had the hair like Marcel from Top Chef. So, instant icon. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'd be interested in them. I'd be
0: interested in them, but I also really want my Donkey Kong Country movie.
1: I think we're going to get that. They're too fun. I I absolutely know The Rock wants to do a voice on this. I absolutely know it. (laughs) Uh, And we need more Yoshi. Yes. Again, I just want to stick uh i just want to talk about the 1993 super mario brothers for a second which is one of these movies where there's a real budget on it but it also looks extremely cheap here's a reference i'm going to pull if you've ever seen the movie red Sonia with brigitte nielsen in the Absolutely. 80s okay which is which is basically an <laughs> off-brand conan movie where arnold schwarzenegger is in it playing a character who's not named conan because they didn't have the rights to it um in it It's like it has a real budget. It has the budget of like Back to the Future, but the sets still look like they spent all their money at Joanne Fabrics. And in the Super Mario Brothers movie, you're kind of wondering where all the money is going. You know, the slime and all this stuff feels like, you know, a lightly heightened Nickelodeon set. And then you see Yoshi in the CGI they've put together, and it looks like a pretty real dinosaur like it's the jurassic park era so they're obsessed with that effect at the time and i think all of the money went to that plus dinosaurs are gay culture so yeah
0: um you know you know one of my favorite brigitte nielsen
1: roles is uh go ahead flavor of love i knew it was going to be that (laughs) (laughs) i mean her other role yeah
0: (laughs) and i feel like It's lost to younger generations that this is Brigitte Nielsen who is in that famous um, clip from it where she's looking at a notepad as she laughs and she goes, (laughs) Uh, that's from Flavor of Love. Right, right. And it's
1: Brigitte Nielsen, Red Sonja herself. We don't have any more seven-foot-tall Danish celebrities anymore, and I think we're a lesser culture because of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, otherwise, Gwendolyn Christie would be getting a lot more
1: roles in Hollywood. She she would have so many more roles in, like, the 80s. Right. Definitely. When you could be extreme and sort of American Gladiator-esque and yeah. be a big star. Isn't we're it crazy that Gla- Arnold Schwarzenegger was the world's hugest movie star for a long time? Like, yeah. I, I, it, we don't really—I mean, I guess that's The Rock now, but— we don't really have an industry of that as much anymore. And now, where have all the gladiators gone, huh? Paul
0: Mescal, Barry <laughs> Keoghan, beautiful man, beautiful beautiful men, two of my faves. But are these are these gladiators? No, right.
1: That's the gladiators we're getting.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bring back American
1: gladiators.
0: Okay, bring back America.
1: <laughs> I could rank my favorite <laughs> American gladiators, please. I know you. Could. It begins with ice on the ladies' side. <laughs> Someday we'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's like our Matt Damon on Kimmel bit. One day, Lewis will get to talk about American gladiators.
0: All right. Well, we're back, and Australian gladiator joins us, (laughs) Tony Collette. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated. So, don't believe the dupes. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times, okay? Okay. You're going on, on Oprah, you get in the car, and you're getting some Barefoot Dreams. Dressing head-to-toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. So, for Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code It 15 Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. When you think of the messiest celebrity feuds of all time, who comes to mind besides me and Lewis? Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun, Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, or just about anyone from any reality TV franchise? Dysentel is a podcast from Wondery hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each hilarious episode will take you through one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds and serve you a little dose of chaos every week. They recently covered the story of the explosive and dramatic fallout between Candy Burris and my favorite traitor, Phaedra Parts on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. They went from TV besties to sworn mortal enemies, and the relationship ended with a criminal allegation that rocked Bravo and its fandom for years to come. So if you're ready to gossip, follow Dis Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Dis Tell early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at Cricket.com/slash store for this month only. Our guest today is one of the most iconic performers of this or any generation. You know her from United States of Terra, Hereditary, Little Miss Sunshine, Knives Out, so much more. From tormented and heartbreaking to aloof. And hilarious she truly does it all and now you can catch her as an unwitting crime boss in mafia mama she is talented and incredible please welcome to keep it tony collette
2: oh my god you guys thank you so much pleasure <laughs> to talk to you
0: i mean thank you you are a pleasure to watch on screen truly in everything um and I love when you, you know, you switch genres so much, but I love when you do comedy. Um, and in Mafia Mama, you are truly giving your best um comedy. Um
3: <laughs> you know,
0: um, you're working with Katherine Hardwick again for a second time, um, I believe. Um, so what was it like reuniting with Catherine for this film?
2: Well, I mean, it was amazing. I think she can truly do anything. This script was sent to me by Amanda Stairs, who's a producer on the movie The Story's Her Idea, and um, it, when it was written, she sent me the script kind of saying, you can do whatever you want with it, you can produce it with me, you can direct it, you can be in it, whatever you want. And at first I thought, yeah, I'll direct this, because I'm I'm starting to think about directing at the time, and... <clears throat> And then I just thought, tonally, it's really very unusual. It is funny, but it's kind of poignant and there's action. And I was like, oh, I think this is too big for me to do. And then when I started thinking about other directors, Catherine Catherine was just it. I loved working with her. I miss you already 10 10 years ago. Wow, 10 years ago. Shit. Um, (laughs) And I feel like I got to work with, um, got to know her just on a different level on this film. I'm. I feel really lucky to have worked with her again because I feel like our friendship has deepened, but also I'm just so inspired by her because as I say, I think she can do anything. She's the most unbelievably creative person and so authentic. There's nobody like her. The way she thinks, the way she sees things, the way she expresses herself, she's really exciting to work with. I find it totally inspirational and very, very, very collaborative.
1: I think of you as such a searing actress, like the, the amount of scenes that come to mind where I'm like, oh, I have to like clutch something as I watch oh, this God, scene. It's so terrible. bracing. <laughs>
3: that
1: it, it, feels, it feels crazy to me that you could also want to be like a, a, a comedic actress when you have that kind of capability. But when you were becoming an actor, was it always like, did you always envision yourself doing like, like wackier roles in addition to these, you know, movies that, you know, traumatize viewers like me?
2: um I just never I just never wanted to be pigeonholed or categorized or I think I think the beauty of being able to first of all I can't believe I actually have a career and (laughs) that I get to do something that I love but if you're if you're artistic in any way surely you should have the freedom to do anything and I just think as an actor if I were to repeat myself or play the same kinds of parts I would just get I'd get bored and then I'd want to do something else. So for it's literally just very selfish for me because then I can just keep myself on my toes. I get to kind of entertain myself with the types of stories that I tell. But also I have this weird and wonderful um relationship with the with the work that comes to me. I, I find that no matter what the genre is, it somehow um there's always some correlation. With my life, with some lesson that I have to learn thematically, you know. And I think that these, these jobs come to me, but they're not just jobs, they're life experiences, you know, and they're deep experiences for me. And I can't work on them if they're not. So um it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what kind of story it is, as long as there's some truth to it and something that just really speaks to me. Um, and with mafium, oh God, I love it so much. It's like properly. Wet your pants funny. When I read it, I just was like, oh my God, this is the best, best gift. It was so mm-hmm. light, so like pure joy, you know? And it came to me during COVID and I was like, yeah, this is what I want. I want pure joy and I want to give pure joy. So making it was, I, I kind of knew it was going to be special, but it just even exceeded my expectations. It was one of the best experiences of my life.
1: Also, I just want to say that it really comes across in your filmography that you, Pick things specifically because they are not boring. Like even in like a traditional rom com, somewhat traditional rom com, like about a boy, like your role is a suicidal woman. Like you pick like there's always like a there's like a strange unexpected jolt to what you bring to any given um, movie. And I guess my question is, what are the kinds of things that actually do bore you that you're sort of sick of seeing in scripts? Because since I'm sure based on your versatility, you read almost everything.
2: Well. I mean, I don't read almost everything, but it's just when there's no, um, change within a character, There just has, and sometimes most of the time, to be honest, what I'm drawn to is an internal change, which is actually very difficult to externalize, to kind of show in terms of a story. Um, but they're the things that I think move me the most when someone has some kind of life realization or epiphany, or, you know, comes to know themselves in a in a deeper way or find self-love or just find some self-respect or you know opens in some way when there's a blossoming. That's what I love. It's a very basic thing. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess what I don't love is just when there's no emotional connection. If there's no emotional connection, if I can't connect with it, then the audience is not going to connect with me or the story. And there's no point doing it because it's all about connection. Storytelling is all about connection. That's that's what I I mean, my, my relationship to making films has changed as well. I think when I was younger, it was just an, an incredible outlet for me to emote because I don't think I knew myself very well and I it was a chance to kind of just kind of knock on some doors that were closed within myself. And all of the characters that I've played over the years have taught me so much about life and about myself. I'm so grateful for all of them, even the shitty experiences, which are very few. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know the great ones, man. You just you don't. Um, they live with you. I had to do this. I didn't quite know what it was. I did this interview recently, and it was almost like a retrospective, going through a bunch of films. And I just, I, I was blown away because I still sat there. They kind of showed different clips from different films, and they, you feel every emotion still. And it's a, some, some of them are decades later. So I think once I'm connected to someone. It's like love. It doesn't go away, you know, it's always there and you always feel it and you always have that connection. So mm. that's a long-winded answer I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> um
0: I mean to even get into, you know, figuring out an internal change in a character, um Are there roles you had where you've sort of seen something exciting on the page and then it becomes a bit more through, you know, obviously through like a collaboration with a director um, and then you sort of change it from how it might have been in the script? Because, I mean, I feel like you have to be sort of a godsend to directors because you just sort of take a role that we might see on page as um just sort of like a character who's existing within the world but maybe not going to be this standout dazzling character that we're always going to be thinking about from the film um but then i think about you in films like velvet goldmine where that character um of mandy i just think that like no one else could have played that character so um it's so
2: funny that you use that as an example because at the time i think prior to that i hadn't really been given an opportunity to play a character that felt so far from myself Mm -hmm. and john haynes i wanted to do that film so badly i remember i had an audition with him at the groucho club in london and i've just put so much pressure on myself and I just thought he was such a genius and the script was so kaleidoscopically incredible and I just love that period of glam rock music. And um, so I just had this like I kind of knew I was going to end up doing it. I had this experience where I was thinking about it while I was in Australia before I flew to London and I looked up and I was like, is it going to happen? I saw like seven shooting stars. I was like, okay, thanks for the confirmation. (laughs) (laughs) But I was so excited that that he trusted me to play that role but I really felt like I was, you know, I was having this opportunity where I could sit with the cool kids at the back of the bus.
3: <laughs> mm. <laughs> um,
2: but when I read something, I can tell pretty much immediately whether I should do it or not or whether whether it's mine. Like I can, I can hear it, I can feel it, I can see it, and it is immediate. On a cold read, it comes to me very, very quickly. I never have to... Um, really reach very far to, to kind of, you know, make it real. Um, and I, I think, I don't know, part of me thinks it's a laziness, but it isn't. It's just that I can connect with it. And if I don't, then I'm not going to do the best job and they should hire someone who really does connect with it because they're clearly going to elevate it or whatever. But when you get on set, what you can't determine is the energy like every job is mm-hmm. different everyone brings their their whole history and the you know everything it, about them and it's always a bunch of different energies thrown into the pot and you can never tell how it's going to balance out or what's going to happen and the most exciting moments are when it's kind of out of control it suddenly becomes its own thing and takes on its own energy and that's where a kind of it is a kind of magic It's something takes off and no one has any control over it and everybody feels it and they're like the best days at the office. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it when it does, it's just like, oh, that felt good.
3: <laughs> it's
1: interesting that you describe being so just game for, you know, whatever's put in front of you if you connect with the character. But are there any types of scenes you dread filming? Again, I think of so many scenes in your filmography, and I'm like, I cannot even imagine beginning to approach this material. It's so either crazy or sad or um, wild, you know, not of our universe. Is there any kind of scene you have dreaded filming in your uh, filmography?
2: Hmm, dreaded filming. Well... It was only fear getting in the way, to be honest. It was only a fear of uh, exposure or failure or um, the most recent ones, I would say, I did a film um, and really they were mostly about the accents. I had to do a very specific Dublin accent. It's an area called Talla and when it's real and identifiable and people are from there and can see that you're not doing it correctly, it's so petrifying to me that that people will kind of see that I can't do it or I've misrepresented them somehow, you know. Um So I did that film called Glassland, Glassland in Ireland, which in the end, it's weird. In the end, I have all this... Fear, but I i don't know how I somehow get there. It, I don't know how I get there. Maybe I have to feel the fear so I have some resistance, something to push against. I don't know. And then I did this other film, which is very different tonally to Glassland. Glassland's quite dark. I play this alcoholic woman with this beautiful son who's trying to save her. Um, And in, in Dream Horse, this Welsh film is about, it's a real story about this woman who, um. I don't know, she's just, I think, sick of her life and just kind of looking for meaning and purpose. And she decides she's going to breed a racehorse and it's an expensive business. She gets everyone in the village, put some money in, they save up, they breed this racehorse and it goes on to become the biggest winner of all time. So it's a big deal to that country, the story of this horse. And just literally just doing the Welsh accent and playing a woman who was still very much alive was like, oh my God, this responsibility is too large. But, you know, Also, it's the most collaborative of art forms. I work with so many incredible people and I have, have, especially on Dream Horse, had the most incredible um, dialect coach, this woman called Neil Lynn, who became such a good friend. I really relied heavily on her. Um, But in the past, emotional things have felt, you know, like, oh, I think I can do that. I remember when I was very young, I did a film called Lillian's Story and I... How uh, my character uh, tried to commit suicide and she wakes up on the beach, you know, with cuts on her body and has to walk. She's kind of lost her mind. She walks home naked through her town um, after being abused by her dad. And it was very heavy. And I just literally was on the phone while I was in makeup that morning, like to my agent, um, I don't want to do it anymore. Can you please? I, you have to tell them I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. You have to get me out of it. <laughs> She must have shot herself. Anyway, she talked me around, but I just did not want to do that. I just did not want to do that.
1: You also just put your finger on something that I've always been curious with about you, which is in almost everything I've seen you in, not discounting something like Muriel's wedding, of course, you are doing an accent. So as in putting one on, you know, you uh, you played so many famous American characters at this point, where approaching a character do you almost necessarily have to come, does the voice come first to you, what they're going to sound like? And does that inform the other decisions you make about the character?
2: I often do hear the voice, yeah. Like when I say I hear things clearly, I do, I hear it straight away. I hear exactly what they have to sound like and what they feel like. I can kind of feel how they move in an internal way, which sounds weird. Um, Like with Mafia Mama, I had for Kristen, I just had this idea, she just had to have this kind of high, innocence, this high kind of vulnerability, this kind of girly, sweet quality to her voice. And I remember I was playing around with it in rehearsal when I got to Rome and I I remember I was so disappointed because Catherine was like, I don't know about that thing you're doing with your voice, I don't think, yeah, we love you, we just want you to be you. And I was like, I'm going to take what she's saying and I'm going to stick it in my little pocket, but I'm just going to continue doing it. And in the end, I think it is, it's in there. I think it's a combination of things, but I definitely kept those qualities. And you, and she does, you know, sometimes when I see little clips from the movie, it's definitely, yeah, it's not my way of speaking at all. And I just knew from the beginning that it had to be that. It's just, I don't know. It's just the way I work. I don't really have to Mm -hmm. like play and play and play to figure it out. It just kind of comes, comes at me. Which, by
1: the way, brings up another issue. I am concerned that Australians are too good at American accents. (laughs) You can't clock at any time anymore. I'm shocked. Because it's never the reverse. You know, like, I can think of Meryl in A Cry in the Dark. That's a great Australian accent. And then, can you name the second one? I would love to hear it.
2: Well, she's not American, but Kate Winslet does a very good one. Oh, Mm. and
1: uh, what was that? The the Dressmaker, maybe? Was that uh, Australian?
2: The Dressmaker. She also did a film called Holy Smoke with Jane Campion. Right. Yes. Mm. Um, Yeah, she's very good at that. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think it's because maybe when we grew up, America's very self-sufficient and self kind of congratulatory in terms of its um, achievements. And we just didn't have a sense of self in Australia. We didn't watch much Australian TV. We watched all American TV Mm -hmm. and really backwards, kind of antiquated British TV, like Benny Hill. Like, can you believe that? Um, so I just honestly I was so saturated in the sound of America and what you guys sounded like that it was it's always been pretty easy. I remember when I first came to America, I did a little film called The Clockwatchers in like 1990.
1: Love that movie, uh, and uh, by the way, so do all gay men with taste. My God, we love that movie. <laughs> Lisa Kudrow, Parker Posey, Alana Eubak, we love that movie.
2: Mm, well, it was really fun to make, and I worked. <laughs> I worked with um a dialect coach literally for an hour. And I I never, I mean, the thing is, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. I don't come from a family who does anything like this. It's all just been following my heart and trying to figure it out as I go, putting one st- step in front of one foot in front of the other. And I worked with this woman, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I'm not gonna work with her anymore. Cause I just found it made me so self-conscious, like mm-hmm. having to think about sound so acutely. Like, how can you possibly feel real to anyone if you're, or be in the moment if you're thinking about that shit? So, bless her. I mean, I'm sure it helped, but um, I just, yeah. I, I tend to also just, um, like with the Sixth Sense, I turned up in Philadelphia. I didn't have a real clear understanding of the accent, but I, I remember I would drive around with the Teamsters. I'd get them to take me to the, you know, the local market and, you know, here, there and everywhere, take me to get philly cheesesteak whatever and i just <laughs> soak it up and that's how i that's i don't know That's how I call it <laughs> it back. Yeah. um
0: i'm also really interested in how you prepare i guess for um stage roles i mean if i'm talking about iconic um things that tony collette has done to me i'm always going to be thinking about the wild party you know and um A clip on the rosie
1: o'donnell show yes fabulous yes
0: um You know, so like, and you have such a musical background, too. I mean, you're in a band as well. um, And you've done so many projects, even like Velvet Goldmine, as I mentioned before, which has so many musical elements in it. Um, Is music something that is very important to you? Is it something that helps you tap into a role um, easier? Um, And then what's it like, you know, preparing to do music on stage, you know, on Broadway?
2: Um, okay. so yes, absolutely. Music is hugely important to me. I think it's mm-hmm. incredibly evocative, and it's so immediate in when it, how it can kind of put you in an emotional space. Um I started doing musicals at school when I was fourteen. so I you know, had dance classes and did musicals. And once I realized I could sing then I had a few singing lessons, and then I started in musicals as a teenager. and i I, you know that was my first experience of theater. Um, which led to a kind of more dramatic plays, which then led to film um, and some TV. So that was kind of the trajectory. But it it started with music and this want and need to kind of sing, which I think is quite primal. It kind of frightens me a little bit because it comes from some place that I, <laughs> there's a mystery that I don't understand. It comes from, you know, something deep, um, someplace deep. Um, and so, singing also when you're scared and you're going on stage, you have to overcome it because it just immediately, any fear, any anxiety affects the larynx, right? So, it suddenly is going to start closing things up if you become tense in any way. So, there's really having to work through that. Um, in terms of preparing, for a character. I mean, I don't do it so much. Now sometimes I do, but I used to make playlists and I used to prepare like I'd be, I'd listen to a lot of music before certain mm-hmm. scenes to get me in a different, you know, get me into a certain feeling. Um well, I don't think I've done that in a long time, but I definitely make playlists just to, you know, create a little audio world that mm-hmm. that is the world of the the story or the film, whatever it is. Um it's so funny because I'm in New York right now and I was just walking through Times Square last night and I was having so many memories about working there and just thinking about that time and how you just don't know what's going to, what opportunities are going to come your way in life. And I'm um, so, it was kind of a challenging one, but it was also incredible. I loved working with George Wolf. I, can you believe I got to work with Ertha Kitt? I mean, bloody mm-hmm. hell. And it was a new evolving piece. So working with Michael John Lucuzo on the music and having that kind of evolve and change as we were rehearsing right up until we opened, it was very, very exciting. And it was a dream because I started in musicals to suddenly be, you know, on Broadway. Are you kidding me? This is like, this is the epitome of, of, of what this experience could be. It's the highest high and just, you know. I did that, how old was I? I think it was in 2000, right? So it was a time ago and having those memories and feeling so grateful and thinking about life and how everything changes and keeps growing and changing and opening. And you can never plan, you can have plans, but life has its own plan for you. I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Do Um, you remember mm -hmm. anything from that time where it's so interesting to me that, um, there was also another wild party running yeah, on Broadway, the little version <laughs> like was there was there any like fun awareness of like the fact that like there are two wild parties going on in two thousand and it's like pre social media too, so I feel like were there was there confusion amongst like people? do you remember people being like, "Which one am I seeing? Did I see the wrong one or think, did you even get a chance to like see it? That.
2: I didn't because I was so busy doing ours. Um, mm-hmm. I really had actually because, I mean, I just love the story for itself and it would have been great just to have a comparison. But, um, yeah, we were, were kind of inundated. Um, <laughs> I think there was a little bit of confusion and I think there was a little bit of like, wow, this is cool and weird. Um And I think there was a little bit of a competitive nature around it. I think some people were like, I prefer this one. Well, I prefer that one, you know, (laughs) that that did exist. Um, Yeah, but I, I don't know, I'm so happy with, well, it's weird to say the one I was involved with because it was just, well, I don't, I mean, I don't believe in coincidences. I really do believe things happen as they're meant to. And it was just the most incredible group of people. And it was very alive at the time. It just felt so alive, you know. It was mm-hmm. just a moving beast, um, which was also representative of the time within that story. There was so much change um, in that time. So anyway, yeah, it was it was a great experience and, and a difficult challenge kind of. It's intense, man. I take my hat off. It, it, honestly, at the time I remember thinking it's like being – I don't know, it's like being a really intense sports person. like you have to be so physically fit and you have to be so disciplined and there's so much work that goes into it. Um, and thankfully, you have, I think we had maybe six weeks rehearsal, um, which and it was only a one act, one act uh, play, but <clears throat> um, musical, sorry, but it was so dense. it was really dense that six weeks doesn't even sound enough, to be honest. Um, but I know now that's considered a luxury. I've done other <laughs> plays. I mean, I haven't done a play for a while. The last one I did here was the Realistic Joneses, and that was, I think, 2013. And that was really, sh- I remember them being told, it's a um, four-week rehearsal period. I was like, what? That's not <laughs> But you never, you are never not ready. Whatever period of time you're given, it's like everyone knows the line is over there, we have to get to it, and you somehow get there. It's like, I don't know, it's like magic.
1: I have one final question and it's extremely reductive. I apologize. But I'm thinking of two specific acting obstacle courses you have done. And they are United States of Terra, where any given week, you had no idea what Tony Collette was going to throw at you, whether it was six characters or (laughs) one brand new insane character who was going to like warp your brain, whatever. So a lot going on there. And then also Hereditary, which I'm aware is not a TV series, but the amount of tumult in a single film I don't think has been matched since and never will be matched. So I was wondering, which of these experiences was, was more demanding of you?
2: Oh, definitely hereditary.
1: Really? Mm. Now,
2: United States of Tara. I know it, at the time everyone was asking me, oh, do you find it difficult moving between the characters? And I just never did. I just never did. I knew what I knew what it was and it just flowed and I took such joy in it. It was such a joyous experience, all of the cast. I love every single cast member. And I feel very f- close to it at the moment because only a few weeks ago my son had foot surgery. He's about to turn 12 and he said he really wanted to watch it. I was like, oh, are you sure? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what's everything. And it's really it's intense. It's deep and it's dark and it's also fun, but it's full on, you know, especially for my son to watch his mother do all that. Um, So it was really interesting to watch it again uh, and to have grown and to be able to look at it, look back at it um, and kind of understand my passion for it a bit more and understand just how important that story is um, and why we all gravitated towards it and loved it so much as as an on-screen family. We all really did love it and love each other. Um, and the crew, such an amazing um, feeling of connection and um, collaboration and was, yeah, a really, really good one. I loved it. Hereditary, uh, it was... Exactly um,
1: that noise, yes. <laughs> that shutter. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, at the time, I, I got it when I was in Paris shooting the film I was um, talking about shooting with Amanda a French film called Madame, mm-hmm. and I had said to my team, I guess I just realised that I, after doing Miss You Already, which was my first film with Catherine, that I, after years of telling people that I really was fine, um, I don't hold on to my characters, I don't take them home, I don't, you know, feel what they feel, don't be ridiculous, that actually I was doing exactly all that. And so I kind of declared that I didn't want to do anything heavy I didn't want to, I didn't want to challenge myself in that way. I just wanted to be light and joy and glee and have fun and make people laugh. So, you know, I did a couple of things and then while I was shooting, you know, a couple of things of that nature, and then while I was shooting Madame in Paris, I got this call about this film Hereditary. And they said, look, we understand what you're saying, but we think this is a really incredible piece and you should at least read it. And when I read it, it was like, ah, oh, fucked. I have to do it. I just I it. <laughs> it was there was no choice. It was, it's very weird when it's like that. When it's like, I just know. It's just a knowing inside me that I have to do something. Um and I knew that it was gonna take a lot. I knew that it was going to be a lot, I knew it was gonna be heavy. But the great gift of it was it forced me as I was making it, because I knew going in what it was going to be and how challenging, challenging and how demanding it was going to be it, it I knew that I had to figure out a way it's like as you, when, when you're cooking clean as you go in the kitchen so that's what I did I kind of each day I had a way of I started to figure out ways of cleansing it shaking it off getting rid of it not carrying it and it actually was a very smooth um satisfying uh kind of I did have some fun on it because I was Treating it, I was kind of considering myself more in the, in the context of it, in the in the making of it. I think I was really happy. This might have something to do with me just coming to know myself as a person, you know, being more comfortable in my skin and knowing myself and more as a human, um, that I I just had more respect for my own well-being. And I took care of myself during that that shoot in a way that I never had before. And I continue to do that now, but that was the first job where I had, and I, maybe that's why it happened because I really uh, appreciate it. Cause it forced me to have to figure out a way to balance out my experiences.
0: I really have to commend you for that role. I mean, I mean, that is obviously Ari Aster's um, feature film debut, but I mean like you did so fantastic in that film and I feel like it sort of ushered in, um, him doing um like great roles for just great actresses that are so weird and creepy. I mean, um obviously, you know, there was Midsommar. I just saw um Bo is Afraid recently at the New York premiere and Parker Posey and like Patty Lapone in that film are just as scary and weird and intense as you Ooh. are in Hereditary.
2: Parker, we were making the staircase and Parker was telling me that she was working with Ari on that film and I mean, we just looked at each other knowingly, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> is it scary or is it just kind it's of? It's
0: actually not um, scary. Um, okay, it's it's more of a it's more of a comedy. It's very Albert Brooks-ish, to but be wow. honest.
2: Oh my god! Yeah. I can't see it. Yeah, I couldn't watch. He when I got to Salt Lake City to start on um, Hereditary, he'd already he'd already written Midsummer, and he he the thing is, Ari's so. Freaking prepared, man! That guy is like, his mind is incredible. He's so incredible to work with. I don't know where he comes up with that stuff, but I mean, it's from him, right? And he mm-hmm. knows it meticulously. How he wants it to feel, how he wants it to look, how everything has to be like, you know, very specific. And so we sat down at dinner one night, and um, he told me the story of Midsummer and where it came from. And I just said to him, "Look, Aria, I think it's incredible. I'm just telling you, I'm never going to watch it. <laughs> I just can't live with the trauma of those scary movies. I just can't do it. So I'm really happy to hear that this one, I'll watch this one because mm. it's not, it's, it's. I'm sure it has moments that are challenging because he can't not do that. But yes, um, and I think that gives. I think that gives any film." Depth when you when you have all kinds of you know you can't have light without the dark in anything in life you have to have you have to have darkness they coexist so mm. um yeah but I re- I'll watch this one it sounds like I can handle it <laughs>
1: yeah. but speaking of that I just want to say and uh, traumatizing scenes and the staircase I am good on watching you fall down the stairs I do not see, <laughs> need to see you fall down those stairs one more time oh no? my god that I was, don't was very that tough I
2: haven't fall downstairs again in my life. <laughs> And did it – well, weirdly, uh, they had prepared several wigs, which got cut too short, so we weren't able to do several takes. So a lot of the times I could only do one. Um, So there was a lot of pressure on that one take to get it right. Um, But, yeah, having to die several different ways, it was – I mean, it's a true story. It's just too gruesome, that poor woman. I mean, no matter what happened, it's a horrible way to die.
0: Yeah. And with that, (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for being here. And I mean, we can't uh, end
2: it like that. All right. We've got to ask a question
1: uh, about ABBA or something. Does ABBA follow you around in some meaningful way these days?
2: It actually, you know what? Dancing Queen comes on everywhere I go. It's just like this incredible (laughs) thing. I'll walk into a place, any restaurant, any store, and I'm like, oh my God, they follow me everywhere. But I love it. I mean, Muriel's wedding gave me a life I could never have ever have anticipated or dreamed of it and that song and that whole god that whole experience was just the best so i i do love it it's a it's a bittersweet um but very lovely um kind of hug every time it comes on every time i kind of merge with it and it happens so often it's weird
0: i mean does it feel like it's almost sort of like I have to imagine one when you go places, people notice you in general because you're Tony Collette. But I'm like, if, you, if I were in the room with you and Dancing Queen was playing, I feel like I would turn to you and be like, all right.
2: <laughs> Here's your theme song. Get on the dance floor. Yeah. A little bit. Oh, it's nice though.
0: Uh, well, if we'll remember you for anything, it'll be, it'll be ABBA. And also, you always involved with the mafia, Connie and Carla, Mafia yeah. Mama. <laughs> right. I oh, mean,
2: God, I forgot about that in Connie and Carla. Yes, yeah.
0: You're, right. you're some like it hot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. In reverse. I forgot. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wow. It's really interesting. Is I mean, it was amazing being in um Italy because it really exists. Right. And at one point we contemplated shooting in um, Sicily and we were like, Mm -hmm. "Oh, it's, it's too close. We'll actually have to kind of deal with them. You know, we'll have to pay (laughs) all of the fees to all of the people that you have to pay fees to, to shoot in certain places. And then they'll come along and say, yeah, now you have to pay us. You know, so many, so many, uh, so many versions of all kinds of colored, of colored tape. But um, Yeah. After we finished, Catherine Hardwick had a short film that was playing in, I think it was a women's film festival in Taramino, which is now obviously famous for White White Lotus Season 2. And they all sat down and they're at this beautiful hotel and they started the films and then all the lights went off and it just got shut down and they realized the mafia did not like it happening at that hotel and they got all the VIPs and bussed them over to their hotel where they continued the rest of the film film (laughs) festival. And Kat was like, holy shit, I just finished a movie about the mafia and now I'm literally being herded through by them. How crazy is it?
0: Well, thank you so much for being here, Tony. Uh,
1: It was really a pleasure. Yeah, Jesus. What a fabulous interview. Thank you so much for it. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Ciao.
3: The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four
1: different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's stay out of my swamp
3: for Florida, stay out of my hole for Arizona, stay out of my prickly pear for Texas, and stay out of my strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's f bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop.
2: Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series this fucking guy where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So, if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcast.
1: Is this trying to get to a Succession recap show? I'm about 3 seasons behind, so it better not. <laughs> I did watch the last episode, though, because it was one of those things where if I do eventually watch the show, whatever the spoiler from this episode was, I knew if I saw it online, um, it, it would ruin the series for me. So I just thought, I better see this episode just to yeah. watch it happen in real time. That's fair. I love that you keep doing that with, like, each episode this season. I They keep really me. <laughs> Actually, I can't think of another show that has done that. Like, I never even watched Game of Thrones in the last season when I hadn't caught up.
0: Oh, um, well, let me tell you this, um, and if you're listening, obviously spoilers for this episode of Succession, but I also feel like it's very hard to spoil Succession, because it's not really about the fact that Logan Roy died this episode. I mean, it is, that's the plot of the episode, but, like, it's not like it came out of nowhere. This is King Lear, obviously, that's a King Lear adaptation, um not as good as our last king lear adaptation um as you know empire <laughs> <laughs> or the lion king yes but um the the series starts with you know him like nearly dying you know and that is why you know he it's called succession it's about who's going to be taking over the company and it makes sense um thematic sense story sense that
1: he dies in the final season. So now we can see that. Yes, correct. Yeah, So we can see it play out. Though they still managed to make it shocking. Like there was nothing in the preceding episode. Like when they start the episode and he's just on the floor and they're doing, uh, pumping his chest, you are aware it's over. There's no uh, Shakespearean lead up to it. Right, and I love how you see him at first, um
0: just with Carrie, like you know he's he's getting on the plane, and then we hear about it. It feels
1: theatrical to have the death off stage right, right, look at you, wow, getting no. into your time Stopper over here, all right
3: <laughs>
2: no,
1: also um, just it was so cleverly done in the episode, how it was unclear how bad it was going to be if he was going to die right then, and they and they b- believably credibly stretched it out so that each family member got a dramatic moment to react to it you know yeah. and they were the the kids were all apart from him so they tried to talk to him on the phone each of them gets a moment uh uh Shiv is away for a second and so they finally get the phone to her she finally gets a moment too it really was i've never seen uh uh, I've never seen guaranteed Emmy nominations set up like this before. <laughs> yeah. Just one after another. Here's who we're putting forward. First Karen Culkin. Here's, yeah. It was a, it was a Emmy showcase, basically. Right.
0: Everyone got a moment. Um, wow. What a... I just really... I love that you just, like, tuned in to the end of this because I've obviously I've been obsessed with Succession since season one. And I think that this is just another notch in um, HBO's belt, you know? And that they have been the one network that I feel like has consistently been a part of, like, the TV conversation for years.
1: Right. I think other networks have sort of threatened to uh, supersede them. Like, I remember a moment where I thought FX was on top of the world, you know? Uh, Netflix had
0: them shook for a minute because they were winning all the Emmys um, for drama. But um,
1: good old... HBO. Carrie Bradshaw did it. I believe she is single-handedly responsible. <laughs> not also just I, No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> though, uh, I, I do think his kid is a good actor. I'm enjoying him. Oh, he's quite good. I
0: did yeah. not like the um, movie I saw him in, though. The Sopranos oh. um,
1: prequel. Uh, the Many Saints of Newark. Right, oh, right. Awful movie. Mm. But he's a he, good actor. Good actor. Um, anyway, uh, also just like Every actor, even the, the kind of ones on, not in the main orbit on the show, are all equally amazing. I have to say it's an actor showcasey show, but I resist it since there's, you know, a third of the uh, – I resist it since, you know, it's a men's show. There's, there's men everywhere. Even though there's, I like them. Matthew McFadden is fabulous. Uh, I feel like
0: I only hear women and gays talking about this show. I mean, straight men really? obviously love it too, but I feel like it's, it's part of our culture.
1: Do you know what is interesting, though, is they obviously just had their most watched show ever, and that still was just 2.5 million viewers. But within yeah. a certain sector of the internet, it feels like everybody has seen this show 25 times.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like that also is what I was describing to um, someone about, say, like, um, Z-Way being canceled, you know, mm-hmm. um, and which is unfortunate. Uh, you know, shout out to Z-Way. I love her. But um, when you think about that show's ratings versus either, like, a Girls or Mad Men, which had similar ratings to that show. Um, I feel like you have to tap into a kind of show that is going to create a um, sort of buzz industry about it, you mm-hmm. know? And for a show like that, uh, Z-Way Show, for instance, where, you know, they were mostly just, like, clips um, online that people could see, um, but that show doesn't lend itself to Podcasts about it, you know, or like people doing recaps of it every week, you know. And I feel like Succession, uh, and then like Last of Us, one of its biggest shows, you know, it's like that is well, you're going to have sci-fi websites writing about it, um, mm-hmm. you're going to have people doing recap podcasts, you're going to p- have people talking about it on Reddit, etc. And honestly, the same thing has happened with Succession. You know, people love talking about a prestige drama, um and this one I feel like is so fun that people enjoy recapping it, podcasting about it, you know, making memes about it, etc.
3: Mm-hmm. And no, I feel like uh, that
0: can keep a show afloat, because if you look back at the ratings, more people are aware of what Mad Men was as a show than actually watched it.
1: Right, right. Uh, I feel like the Z-Way show is a similar model to Billy on the Street, where mm-hmm. it really is about these viral little clips and, that, and yet, I say this as somebody who used to write on that show, I don't know if I know anybody who literally tuned in to watch the full half hour of the show. And it was a half hour show, you know, yeah. on a couple of different networks. Uh, it's just not how you intuitively think to watch a show like that. Maybe I think you should leave as a good um, beacon for the future in terms of these are, you know, short, punchy sketches. It's presented in a punchy way, like the episodes are what, like 16 minutes long or something. And then uh, you, get a, you get a handful of them and you move on.
0: I mean, I think that's basically, you know, sort of the late night model now too. Although people do tune in for a full episode of like Jimmy Kimmel, they better Um, (laughs) (laughs) keep Lewis employed, please. Uh, But no, people do people do still at least tune in for those types of shows, maybe because they're on network TV still and it's easier to just turn it on and watch the whole thing. Um, But I do feel like, you know, like even like SNL, you know.
1: I watch clips more than I watch an entire episode. By the way, speaking of that, though, Molly Shannon was the host last weekend. That's how you get me to tune in. I did not realize this. There are only seven former women cast members of SNL who have been asked back to host. And uh, I can't believe it took this long for Molly Shannon to happen. But she brought back one of my favorite characters and lesser known characters of hers, which who is Jeannie Darcy, the... Um, She's a an '80s stand-up and very dressed the part. She has a kind of half mullet. She's wearing a uh, a very angular blue blazer. I believe she's wearing a bolo tie much of the time. I and remember she, her, that character. Yes, and her tagline is "Don't even get me started." Except there's a real like volume affected quality to it. Um, it's like it's a really low key character for her actually since most of her characters are you know yeah. zany and bounding all over the place i love that character
0: though and i feel like that was some of the earliest um you know um queer coding um for for like kids our age because everyone watched snl like straight kids watched it closeted kids watched it girls watched it yeah um but whatever you quoted from snl Sort of, like, told me if you were, you know, in a, <laughs> a Burgeoning Madachine Society member, you yes, know? Yes, right, right. Uh, and I used
1: to love saying, like, don't even get me started. <laughs> All of her characters. Lic- licensed joyologist Helen Madden. I love it, I love it, I love it. And the yeah. uh, Sally O'Malley. Wow, that was, by the way... Uh, the idea that if Molly Shannon were to play Sally O'Malley, she would be aged down now, since Sally O'Malley was fifty years old. <laughs> I'm fifty. <Yeah. laughs> um, maybe Sally O'Malley's aged. That it's possible. I would like to see that progression. A twenty four. Let's get on it.
0: Um, although isn't that so very like late nineties? uh that she, it was a character who's fifty, who's like, uh, look at me. The jo- the whole joke is, um, I can move. Right,
3: <laughs> and I'm, I'm an old I'm not, broad.
0: Yeah, I'm
1: fifty, and um, my body still works. <laughs> right, yeah, I enjoy the idea of sex. Yeah, uh, I definitely if if I if I were quoting somebody, and I did quote SNL all the time because that was a, a stark difference from I feel like The Simpsons straight people quoted The Simpsons. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I got to quote Sherry O'Terry characters. That was my specific brand. Um, gay people quoted Lisa
0: from The Simpsons, okay?
1: Did we really? We did! You didn't even watch it! I know, right? I, I, as, I, as I've said, Don't play the show was a little culture. too ugly for me. It's too ugly. <laughs> Who likes yellow that much? And dank yellow. Okay, it, it's not
0: like it was the Carol Burnett s- scribblings, okay? <laughs> you know, they, weren't, they weren't those cavemen drawings that The Simpsons used to look like yeah. in, the, in the 80s episodes. <laughs> Uh, who hasn't been invited back to SNL then that you're waiting for? for?
1: for, um, I'm still waiting for Gilda Radner and I think I will be (laughs) be waiting a long time but uh, (laughs) she was supposed to host and they cancelled the episode for I think there was a writer's strike in the late 80s Um, but yeah she didn't get to and then she uh, died soon thereafter Uh, Tina Fey has obviously hosted a bunch of times, Uh, Amy Poehler's come back Maya Rudolph has come back Um, but God, I, I guess, who would I be waiting for? Sherry O'Terry is, I guess, who I'd be waiting for because you know she could still do it. Every once in a of while, course. Andy Cohen wheels her out to do a Barbara Walters character. And in fact, she had a very lovely tribute to her um, once she died. And I'm actually not a Barbara Walters, Stan. And I think Sherry's a impression, which, by the way, is not accurate at all. There's not one thing oh, about I her mean, that reminds of me of Barbara Walters. is so still so funny. And more I mean, effective than uh, Gilda Radner's, which is... Uh, at least playing with the way barbara walter speaks i mean just like
0: tracy morgan star jones wasn't really star jones oh my god i so love funny I now love, i am I'm, a lawyer yeah <laughs> i was rewatching clips of that recently for some reason but it was um, especially his uh allegedly
1: yeah <laughs> i feel like that's how i learned the word allegedly In those sketches, the degree to which Debbie Matanopoulos would go down so hard, it really was brutal. (laughs) That's something that is lacking from SNL now is like, uh, obviously, they'll make make fun of someone like Trump, obviously, and be quote-unquote brutal. But really picking a random celebrity who is basically unproblematic and just hammering them.
0: (laughs) Um, I mean like that is what I even love from the comedies of the 2000s right you know like movies and TV shows like you watch something and a random celebrity just whoever the writers room is thinking about at the time will just catch strays
1: yes oh absolutely I'm reminded I'm reminded of I want to say in Pretty in Pink uh, uh, Madonna comes up who then is like a newish celebrity and they're like well the music's not really deep like (laughs) Jesus Christ (laughs) who's deep (laughs) 80s and deep is such an 80s 90s words like uh, he's not even deep um but i feel like we got away from being able to do that because of
0: the internet right i feel like perez hilton shifted that we got to i the wonder whole, yeah. yeah he was such a demon uh that we have to shit we had to shift back to being nice to celebrities oh wow well he should be in the slammer for that because we had a good thing going for a long time yeah, and you had to you had to be nice to them too because they would hop online and be like, "Well, that's mean," and it's like, "Why are you even watching this um, WB show?" Right, right.
1: Yeah, you know, the WB so,
0: used to do that all the time.
1: Um, oh my god! Oh, in living color, no no show is meaner to celebrities than in living color. Please look up how they um, drag Crystal Waters.
3: Oh my god. <laughs>
1: She, it's a parody of uh, Gypsy Woman. She's homeless, and she's just saying, "I have no talent." The entire time, <laughs> <laughs> it's so cruel.
0: Case in point, I was watching like uh, part of Scary Movie three the other day, and um, Criterion, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and there's a scene where Charlie Sheen is like they're reenacting the others, and Charlie Sheen's in a room, and like you know, there's this like kid underneath the blanket holding the light, and then he rips it off, and it's Michael Jackson.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's both good and pathetic. That's what the 2000s were.
0: Uh, uh, but you see what happens when you try to be mean to a celebrity now. You know, Selena Gomez says, hands off our kidneys.
1: Right. <laughs> oh, God. This is all to say that Succession is very good, by the way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Please keep it's watching. Good. I it's know also I will. It's good
0: because it's mean, right? Yes, Every, yes. Everyone loves Veep this great, show. was great because mean, yes. Everyone mm-hmm. is always quoting it. These characters are cruel, and they are, like, nasty to each other, and it's funny.
1: <laughs> right. It's funny. All my favorite lines in TV history are someone being either like Jenna Maroney announcing a, a celebrity running from her past that's horrible or like someone on VEEP or a VEEP like show being cruel to another uh, person like ugh your breath smells like a Haitian porta potty <laughs> um do not let um do not let Gen Z discover happy endings by the way i had had it with millennials on that fucking show <laughs> There's like 36 episodes, and you would think it went on for 55 seasons based on <laughs> what people were saying about this. Like it was It's Always Sunny. Which, which is probably in its 52nd season. No, right. And also, I think they produce a new episode every day. It's like South Park.
0: Yeah. I, um, I've, I had like a dream once that I would get caught up on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I don't think it's ever going to happen.
1: You would, it's like you would have to enter a monastery. I mean, how would you do it? I watched it for I watched it for at least
0: ten years, so I've seen the first ten seasons. Okay, so, it so be that you're much almost a ninth of the way on. there, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, I saw I saw South Park was um I saw South Park had a new episode. It popped up on my
1: Apple TV the other day, and I was absolutely floored that South Park is still on. You can't. I'm sorry. If uh, I remember when South Park premiered soon after Strangers with Candy. Premiered. imagine if that show were still on i mean it's just unbelievable how long ago that is i was in middle school when this happened gay culture would be a lot different if amy sedaris had been on tv for several decades all right that's the sliding doors reality we should inspect i would yeah. be i would be happy to explore that sometime <laughs>
0: all right when well, we're back keep it we're back with our favorite segment of the episode it's
1: keep it lewis what's your keep it this week this one's too easy i mean everybody would say keep it to this but here we are (laughs) the upcoming 12th season of fx's american horror story has a role um designed for and now will be starring kim kardashian um Mm. i have bad news i understand she is a popular television star I understand she is a very followed Instagram person. Guys, <laughs> that does not make her interesting. Do not put this woman on a screen in front of me and make her speak. I remember the SNL hosting. She did a fine job. It can end there. We love the novelty of it. Let's not <laughs> let's not bring the novelty into the serialized format. Uh, I will say about this season, uh, it's the first American Horror Story season that will be written and showrun by a single writer, Haley Pfeiffer, which, great, because if one person is running it, Maybe that means they will, you know, plan for episodes four through the end. <laughs> Instead of just saying, we'll fill time with like Jessica Lang performing David Bowie. We have no idea. Whatever. Or Stevie feel- Nicks running around a piano or whatever happened in that season. <laughs> Do not come for Coven. <laughs> Do, would you say the whole thing was good? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I re-
0: You remember moments, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the last season that I really watched was, like, the back-to-coven season, the one, like, Apocalypse, where everybody was
1: in it. Also, uh, yeah, I feel like the departure of Sarah Paulson marked my formal departure from having to care.
0: Mm. I did see tweets, though, from people who are like, well, I'm not watching this season. And I'm like, baby, if you think that Kim K is bringing down the quality of American yeah. Horror Story,
1: <laughs> I got something to tell you. No, because they've tried everything. <laughs> In fact, it, there should be just a season called American Horror Story. We tried everything. I mean, she can't be worse than Adam Levine in Insane Asylum. I completely forgot he was on it. And his tattoos that look like just the tattoos that are on the wall at the tattoo parlor. He's like, yeah. I'll just take all those. <laughs> the one of California. I'll take that. He's the red dragon. Yes. Right.
0: Um, yeah, I, I'm fine with Kim being in it. She was, she was great in that Tyler Perry movie. And she was Which not great. one was that? Yeah, <laughs> Temptation.
1: Oh, you do remember Conf- it? I thought, you were, I thought you were Con- bluffing.
0: Oh. Yeah, Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage
1: Counselor. No, I have to say, I am most thankful for Bravo liberties in this way. I feel like they have rendered the television importance of the Kardashians a mm. little moot. You know, because yeah, these people I mean, are occupy the same sort of sphere, and they feel very obligated to be interesting for real.
0: Mm-hmm. I um. I still always, it's still always funny to me when people refer to Kim as a television personality, because I never think of her as that anymore. But I guess she does, they do technically have this TV show, which is the the center of their
1: universe. Right. Well, I first and foremost think of her as an attorney, and I'm upset (laughs) that you don't think of her and fellow attorney Amal Alamuddin as, uh, (laughs) I love that period of time when people were insistent we didn't like care enough about Amal Alamuddin. I don't know anything about lawyers. Stop like per- pretending like she should have been on my radar and I should have been up to date on her cases. Uh well maybe you should be reading my Substack
0: all about Amal. <laughs> and and what happens there. You know what? I have daily updates. Oh okay.
1: Amal Amal's still with us. <laughs> It's like my version of Liza outlives. Yes, right. Which, by the way, we'll keep it to that. I hate, I hate, I blocked it. Also, it's just, it's not funny. And it is cruel to Liza Minnelli, the person it's allegedly toasting. (laughs) She doesn't like it. No, and she herself has said, the joke is that I should be dead. Like, it's weird that I'm alive. And stop treating Liza Minnelli like she's baddie. Stop it. Um, She's full of character. Sterile Cuckoo, 1969, underrated film. Ira, what is your keep it this week? My
0: keep it goes to, once again, heterosexual dating discourse, which Uh, always pops up online. How do you keep seeing this? The algorithm is failing you. (laughs) This was going viral. And I feel like specifically in New York, because it's a very New York problem. But um, this woman, um, who's like a student at Columbia, uh, shared a message that she got on Hinge. Uh, and once again, I have to preface this with, I loathe people who screenshot dating app conversations and put them online for content. I mean, have you tried getting a personality?
1: No. Also, did you know that you can't do that on Grindr anymore? You can't screenshot Grindr conversations anymore. 80% of gays just lost all their content. (laughs) No, it's also, it's like you're going for funny and coming up with mean every time, almost every time.
0: And it's usually someone I'm like. Yeah, I wouldn't want to match with you either because so many people, it seems like they're just like waiting for this setup so that they can screenshot it and post it online. For Precisely, attention. yes. Um, anyway, this guy asks her out on Hinge. Uh, and her prompt is, the best way to ask me out is by opening with a time and place. Let's save the small talk for dinner. Okay. He responds, 7.30 drinks next Thursday at 4.56 in East Williamsburg. And she says, I'll bet $100 that bar is down the street from your apartment in Williamsburg, and you didn't give any consideration to the fact that I live on the west side of Manhattan. Yarn emoji. (laughs) And he responds. She sounds awesome. (laughs) He responds, you'd win $100 on the first part, but I took all that into consideration. I figured you probably don't come to East Williamsburg too often. Next Thursday is going to be gorgeous, and this bar has a nice outdoor section. Uh, and he puts his number, in case you change your mind on me being inconsiderate. Got it. She screenshots it and writes, he really thought he ate that. F for effort in asking me to travel an hour to have a drink with you at a place two blocks from your home. Drinks is so he can spend less money, but it's nighttime so he can ask me back to his place after. And as if Manhattan does have, doesn't have patios, first of all, you're doing entirely too much, girl. Two... I love a date that is drinks, because one, who wants to eat in front of a stranger that you've just met, and you're
1: locked into like a dinner for at least two hours? I literally still think about, I went on a, a date once that was Thai food, and it's just a revolting feeling. We're very <laughs> close to each other. You're watching my mouth move in ways it shouldn't right now. <laughs> um,
0: Drinks, so easy. You get in, you get out. Um... And baby, I'm just saying. It's, it's so extra. And I also need to comment on the fact that she kept going on about how, like, it, you know, it's so expensive to take an Uber. She just puts, she puts photos of the nice outdoor section, which doesn't look great, but it looks like a, like a place in East Williamsburg where the vibes could be fun on, like, a summer night, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I should travel an hour by train or a $100 plus round trip for Uber for this? I'm going back to sleep. And someone found her TikTok, and she lives in, like, Morningside Heights, goes to, like, the Columbia, um, takes an Uber everywhere. There was, like, a TikTok about how, like, I don't even know how much I spend on Ubers. Taking an Uber to and from class, taking an Uber to Sephora, going back home from Sephora. I was like, girl, it's giving... Get out of the car.
3: Take a walk.
1: (laughs) Also, just somebody who is obsessed with getting the internet on their side when it's not somebody being either insulting or demeaning or just like, Absolutely what's not. the upshot of this? Like, we, we love you. You're right. You shouldn't have to go in an Uber on a date. What? What's like, what was the best possible scenario here for her? I don't know what it was. The best possible scenario is like, either
0: listen, you make fun of him and maybe he comes up with an alternative date if you really want to go out with him. But it seems like you're already resigned to, I just want to make, content so if you're already in the i want to make content mode then you're not really even interested in dating anybody
1: i'm a little surprised this is a columbia student is that a legacy admission what's going on there (laughs) maybe she goes to um columbia
0: house university
1: (laughs) Uh, columbia night school
0: (laughs) columbia house university where that you know they just have those cds and they send them out to people
1: right (laughs) God, we really had it good with the the Penny CDs. If you really wanted Rope in the Wind by Garth Brooks, you could get it for under a nickel. The amount of CDs
0: that I bulk ordered from Columbia House is like just how I filled in my CD collection. And then when that bill came, I never paid it. I'm sure I owe Columbia House thousands of dollars at this point.
1: You're going to be thrown in the Columbia House now. They have a slammer. That's where you're going to (laughs)
0: live. What if someone came back from Columbia House right now and just started like
1: charging people i would love it like th- wait, they waited 30 years like <laughs> like a legal cicada emerging to get going
0: um but anyway yeah my main complaint is people who post dating app things for content because here's my thing unless someone's being crazy like in in a message for the most part you are two human beings who don't know each other and have different communication styles because we're humans. You know, like I know that the Internet tricks everyone to believing that everyone's going to sound like them because of their echo chamber and get like your jokes immediately and not have weird ticks about them. But you're two people who don't know each other trying to come to some sort of common ground. So like a lot of the times people will respond to something that like maybe isn't your vibe or how you'd respond to something, but that doesn't mean it's inherently funny or ridiculous enough to you, for you to post
1: online. And also, this may sound too sympathetic to the other side, but routinely, people who aren't the exact vibe you expect that you get from your friends are, I feel like, the people you end actually end up dating because there's actually something novel about them. You know what I right. mean? Right. You know?
0: So, and if you can't even get past, like, a... You know, a thing like that, like, I would love to be called out and be like, you know, didn't you just pick a place like two blocks from your apartment? And you'd be like, you know what? You're right. Let me pick some other place in the middle or something. Or all you had to say was, how about you pick a place in the middle? You know, it's like, it's not like you know everything there is to know about
1: this person from this place that they pick. Right. And Then you get to talk all about the middle and Maren Morris's contributions to pop culture, of which there are maybe three. Um, this is Jimmy Eat World Erasure. That's true. Uh are there other The Middles we're forgetting about? Patricia Heaton, right on Prime Time. Um they live in Indiana, I believe. There's a mid-2000s Ricky Lake movie called The Middle. I was just thinking about her and the theme song to that show and the and the phone number 1-800-Go-Ricky. <laughs> I loved
0: the 90s era where um Black people were so excited by someone doing something where they would just say go and then their name. Yes.
1: Oh, yes. Go Ricky. You you go, go girl. Go Ricky. Like just just chanting it. Like I I think about that all the time. Can I just say for a white woman, Ricky Lake really convincingly said the words your man a lot? She had swag. Is that your man? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Ricky Lake had swag. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I missed that show. Let's bring back Please. the Ricky Lake era. I think we tried a couple of times, and it turns out we didn't want it back. But I do love that show. Yeah, yeah because I I feel like it was swagless. Yeah. Right. Yes. You are correct. That is exactly okay. what I was missing. You yeah.
0: need. You need. You need like. You need a Ricky. Like if it's a white woman, it better be a Ricky Lake. It better be a Lisa Stanfield. Okay. Mm. Like it had better be a white woman who could feasibly go to the Apollo Theater and get applause. I
1: saw you posted that Lisa Stansfield um, performance around all world. around the world. Yes, um, that really, Apollo it,
0: Theater performance that uh, it's she really does—shocking. Sho- and, <laughs> and that's what I—that's what I mean. You know, the whole audience is going, "Go, Lisa! Go, Lisa!" They love her, and yeah. she's got she's got you know her like blazer on, uh, the the slick backed hair that every sort of. Um, White woman with like swag and that era hat, like almost like a Harlem Renaissance. Um, yeah, all the kind of Marcel wavy kind of yeah. thing. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also, Lisa Stansfield had a, a new album a couple years ago. Really good, by the way. Yeah. Uh,
0: I was listening to some of the rest of the album fr- that, um, that singles from. Like she had hits. Yeah. So if you put those on, those are, that's some sexy music been around the world in ubers that are so expensive <laughs> uh, all right well thank you to tony collette for joining us this week that's our show don't forget to follow us at Cricket media on instagram and twitter and subscribe to keep it on youtube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Groot, And Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience.